0: What scares me um, as a mother and as a practitioner is seeing, you know, the pill handed out so readily to young girls, like in in their teenage years, and their, you know, hormones and their connection between the pituitary and the brain to the ovaries really does take quite a few years to develop and mature and the body learns what to do hormonally And so, when you're sort of coming in early with the pill, it does pause everything and it just suppresses. And then you're not sort of allowing that maturation and that natural development of the hormones to happen in those teen years. And then, you know, you get to your mid 20s and you come off the pill or your, you know, early 30s, and then you've got all of these issues because you've been suppressing. All that the time. natural growth Does that yeah. make sense?
1: welcome to the balance theory a podcast aimed at arming you with tools and tips so that you are well equipped to not only identify and define but own your own definition of balance i'm your host erica and thank you for joining me today Hello, Balancers, and welcome to episode 67 of the Balance Theory podcast. Now, I'm pretty excited to have today's guest on, and in particular, because of the content we speak about, it's not only timely in the scheme of where we're at in the year, but it's also something relevant to my experiences over the last year. So towards sort of mid to end of last year, I actually went through adrenal fatigue and serious burnout and learning about this from a health point of view and what's what's actually going on in the body and what actually causes this to happen other than prolonged periods of stress obviously is just something i find so interesting and i say timely in the year because we're sort of at that point where everybody has set their goals we're in that january mode where everyone's pumped for the year you've got plans etc and often we are just charging towards the end without our peripherals on. We don't often consciously stop to just take a break, take a pause and so I think everything we speak about in this podcast, in this episode today about adrenal fatigue and burnout is really important for your general awareness. So as you go through the year, as you have potentially moments that are a bit overwhelming or stressful, you have this awareness of what this looks and feels like before you get to a point where it's really you're too far down the road. So that's one aspect of today's chat with the lovely Mia Robertson, who is the owner and founder of Lifestyle Naturopathics and the creator of Fem21, which is a superfood herbal blend designed specifically for women's health and hormone balance. Alongside her work as a naturopath in clinical practice, Mia is a mum of two and she's passionate about supporting women's health holistically. So other than the adrenal fatigue, you can expect so much content in today's episode. If you've been loving the female health episodes, I think that this is Probably the best one in terms of amount of content delivered in one seating. So we're going to talk about hormones on a very deep level. So all the female hormones, what happens when each of them are out of whack, and more importantly, how certain contraceptives, so like the pill the marina stuff like that how they impact our hormones mia also takes us really deep into how those contraceptives actually work and one we focus on a lot which you would have heard in the intro is the pill now i wanted to focus on this particularly because i know it's something a lot of people are on and i personally felt like when i was prescribed the pill when i was a little bit younger i was a little bit misinformed as to how it actually worked so i take it as my duty or i suppose. Responsibility to share the knowledge of how these things actually work, in case you've potentially also been misinformed. She gives us a couple tips for what to ask for or when to get blood tests to get correct results if you are looking for hormones. She talks about having pill breaks if you are on it. We also chat about PCOS, what it is in general, if you if you don't really know too much about it, and how the hormones function differently when you are suffering from PCOS. We chat about period pain and why it's actually not normal. And lastly, we speak a little bit about alkalizing the body and dieting for your blood type. So honestly, so much goodness, so much information. Get out your notepads or notes on your phone because you're going to at least have five things you'll take away from today's episode, given the variety of topics and breadth of Mia's knowledge as well. I hope you guys love today's chat. If you know somebody that loves female health, women's health-related content, forward this episode onto them. Knowledge is even better when we share it. And with that being said, let's dive straight in. Today, I'm joined by Mia Robertson, all the way on the sunny, sunshine, Gold Coast. Welcome to the Balance Theory Podcast. It's so lovely to have you on this morning.
0: Thanks so much, Erica, for having me. I feel very happy and honored to be part of your lovely passion project of the balance (laughs) theory podcast so thank you for having me
1: you're you're welcome I already am getting such a beautiful happy warm energy from you so I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit more a little bit more about your business but for those tuning in can you tell them a little bit about I guess who you are and what you do
0: Yeah, so I'm a naturopath. I've been in clinical practice specializing in women's health for the last 16 years. Crazy. Um, and I have developed a product specific for women's health and hormonal balancing called Fem21. And that came out about, yeah, six years ago. And so, That's just my whole jam, working with women and supporting them with their cycles and their hormones and fertility and um, menopause and supporting their transition off the pill and helping their skin, a whole variety of things related to women's health. Um, I'm also a mum. I've got two teenage daughters, uh, 13 and 15, and- That'll keep you busy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So I sort of wear a few hats with um being a clinical naturopath and then running my FEM21 business and looking after my family. <laughs> so it's all good. I love it, Um, but it's busy, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I love that. Power mama. But um, I'm curious, were you, did you always um, specialize in, I guess, female health or because I find, uh, I mean, I've interviewed quite a few naturopaths and I find they all have their own little niche that they tend to gravitate towards. So was that something for you that yeah. you were always passionate about from the get go or over time? Was it something that sort of developed?
0: Um, I would say it's been uh, a part of my practice or my career from the get go. Uh it really just stemmed from my own personal issues, you know, as a teenager and then in my early 20s and learning about my own hormonal health. And then when I came out of my degree, I started working at a fertility clinic on the Gold Coast and quite a busy practice. We were featured like on A Current Affair and so we just had this like flood of people with fertility issues coming in. Um, So I was there for five years and that really just started my base working with hormonal health and couples and um, yeah, all around supporting healthy pregnancies. And then uh, after that period of time, I went into more general practice. Um, more working with a couple of integrative doctors on the, on the Gold Coast here. And I wanted to expand more into general women's health as opposed to just focusing on fertility. Um, so yeah, my practice sort of just grew from there. And, um, my own sort of personal issues, you know, as a teenager, I had PCOS, so very bad acne you know, all of the hair growth, (laughs) um, irregular cycles, and then um, had some issues with uh, pregnancy losses, miscarriage, and um, had my kids fairly early in my um, early 20s. I had my daughter when I was 23, and just went sort of from I don't know, it was like a bit of a whirlwind really at the time. Um, Yeah, just went from being on the pill to then coming off and then getting pregnant sort of relatively quickly, having a miscarriage, then getting pregnant again, and, um, you know, threatened miscarriages through both of my pregnancies and breastfeeding, and and then I had the marina in. And after sort of – it was probably about, yeah, 10 years of all of that madness that I was like okay I really got to sort myself out and I felt sort of more in a place at that time when the kids were at school and I was I had a little bit more routine and you know my clinic was going good and all of that side of things So I was like okay well now it's time for me I've been looking after everybody else. Um, and so I got the marina out and then, yeah, worked on my hormonal health. And I was making up lots of, like, liquid herbs and, you know, doing supplement regimes for, for patients. And then I was like, okay, well, I've just got to apply this to myself. But I was really slack taking liquid herbs um, just because they taste gross. <laughs> so Can confirm. I thought so well. <laughs> Uh, I thought, well, if I could make like a, um, like a powdered blend that I can take regularly every day and that tastes pretty good, then I know I'll be consistent and really consistency is the key. So I, yeah, developed the formula for Fem21, started using it on myself, um, started applying it to patients in practice and yeah, it just really grew from there. So um, I was, you know, really pleased after doing like a good six months on FEM21 for my skin to clear up and for my cycles to regulate and my moods and energy lifted and, yeah, just things started to get better from there. So, yeah, that's kind of been me in a bit of a nutshell,
1: I guess. <laughs> Awesome. I always love hearing when people, you know, where they're at now or something they've created or a service they're giving has really stemmed from their own experiences and troubles. I find it's Mm -hmm. just comes from such an authentic place and you can really resonate then with people who do have those issues. So I love that part of it, but take me back to the moment where I guess, and I I do recall reading, I guess on your website as well, you were at this point where you were immersed in women's health and hormones, but you were completely ignoring your own issues and and I guess struggles with that. So talk to me about emotionally how that experience was for you.
0: Yeah, I think just having two, you know, young kids and I was working, you know, like seeing clients back to back. I was really busy and I was getting to the point where I was like on this roller coaster with my cycles. So, you know, in that premenstrual phase, I would just like – hit the wall and I would be so tired and cranky and my breasts were so sore and I was so bloated and I was like just mentally you know up and down um massive like massively <laughs> um and I would suffered from depression in the past and I really just felt like I was you know like swaying <laughs> in between um you know, feeling okay and managing and coping and then really not coping. And so, yeah, it was a little bit weird, um, both, you know, physically and emotionally not coping, but spiritually as well. I came around to a full moon. My period was due. Um, I wasn't getting, like, you know, significant heavy, heavy periods because I was using the marina and um, I, like, It was a full moon and I woke up and I was like, that's it. I've got to get the marina out today. I've had enough. I can, you know, it was like something snapped inside of me. And I thought, you know, it's, I can't live like this. Like, it's not good for my kids. It's not good for um, me to be, you know, sitting on the other side of the desk as a practitioner telling and supporting women with their, mental health, physical health, but then not following my own advice, like slathering on makeup to try to cover my acne, <laughs> not, you know, feeling feeling like I was living like, you know, what I believed in, my truth, I guess. And so, yeah, I like rang around to all these different clinics um, to find somebody to get the marina out on that day and, you know, went in in the afternoon and it was just like this huge, I don't know, relief. For me to have that out and I guess I don't know if like it just energetically having something foreign in your body especially in that um womb space where all your creativity comes from um was just a block for me and so I had that out and then just things tend to just flew you know started to flow from there um, you know, I got my creativity back and, yeah, that's when I started formulating Fem21, which was, yeah, just based on my clinical experience using herbs and as a naturopath, using nutrients and knowing what worked, and just, yeah, that was kind of like that was the point for me.
1: Beautiful. Now I think this is a really good moment um, for me to ask you about two things. So I do want to actually ask you about the pill and the marina and things like mm. Like that, but I think before we go into a discussion about that, I think this is a really opportune moment for you to maybe share a little bit about the female hormones and their role and how they actually work because I know there's quite a few um you know we, we probably know the main ones, but can you just talk to us about the main ones involved in I guess the female cycle and what their functions yeah. are? Yeah,
0: so the two main hormones that are super important for women are estrogen and progesterone and having healthy levels of estrogen you know, flowing through your cycle, it's really important for our um, skin, our mental health, our weight, our breast health, our libido, um, vaginal health in terms of cervical mucus. It helps mentally and emotionally to feel, you know, confident and um, that, yeah, it's a really important hormone to have. And so we release healthy amounts of oestrogen when we're ovulating. And so then after ovulation, oestrogen gets metabolised throughout that second half of our cycle in our luteal phase. And that's when progesterone also comes in after ovulation in that last half of our cycle. And so if we're not metabolising oestrogen particularly well in that luteal phase, we can have like residual higher levels of oestrogen And that can form like this toxic bad estrogen, I call it. And then we're going into a period with these higher levels of bad estrogen and that really amplifies our premenstrual symptoms. So from a mood perspective, making us feel quite snappy and angry and then also, you know, quite inflamed as well. So we're holding a lot of fluid, our breasts are sore, we feel quite bloated around that midsection and it can lead to much heavier, more painful periods as well because that estrogen, bad estrogen can be quite inflammatory. And so then progesterone kicks in and should help to balance out estrogen. But if progesterone levels are lower than what they ideally should be, then um, we're not getting that balancing effect uh, with the ratio between estrogen and progesterone. And so in that way, we're not meeting um, the requirements to manage premenstrual symptoms. And progesterone is like an anti-inflammatory hormone. So it helps our muscles to relax it helps our mood to relax it helps with um yeah just balancing out those symptoms associated with high levels of estrogen but progesterone is really affected by um a variety of things probably the main one is stress and cortisol and our adrenal function and so if we're you know adrenally burnt out if our cortisol levels are you know, running high because we're you know in that fight or flight stress response, then um, that those stress hormones take priority and rob the body of progesterone, and so then after ovulation we just can't produce enough progesterone to balance out estrogen, and so with low levels of progesterone it also makes you feel sort of like. It's like the opposite end of the scale, um, like if, if estrogen, high levels of estrogen make you feel sort of really angry and snappy and irritable and wound up, uh, low levels of progesterone make you feel quite sad and depressed and introverted and teary. Um, and it like I said, sort of just physically amplifies a lot of those symptoms around that premenstrual phase. So they're the two most important hormones throughout our cycle. And so we really want to manage those um, factors that influence that hormonal balance. And so we want to really ensure that we're producing healthy amounts of good estrogen around ovulation and our ovaries are functioning well in order to do that. And our thyroid plays a part, our adrenals play a part, our nutrient balance levels play a part, our liver plays a part, um, and our gut. And so um, working with that, and then after ovulation, ensuring that we're managing our stress and our adrenal function so we can promote progesterone production. And we can support the healthy detoxification of that toxic estrogen. And we do that through the liver, bowel, kidneys.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really glad you've kind of gone in big picture with how the hormones work. And I guess in conjunction with other um, structures in the body, only last year, actually, sort of the second half of last year, when we were midway through the New South Wales lockdown. I actually experienced um, adrenal fatigue and a knock-on effect of that was extremely low progesterone, and I only worked that out after getting a blood test, because I was just feeling exactly what you just said, very, very low, introverted, which is not my personality at all, quite emotional and teary, all these things, and I was like, I could just feel in my body that something was wrong, and I think it's quite telling when you just go inward, and you just tune in, and you go, I know something's wrong, I know something's not right, and I mean, I'm not a doctor or professional but i think more often than not it can be explained by the level the levels of our hormones and correct me if i'm wrong i think the quickest way to work that out is to just get a blood test um yeah 100
0: percent. the only thing i would mention there is when we're getting blood tests really want to time it around ovulation so often you can get a hormonal blood test and that, and you just go any random time in your cycle. And then when your doctor's interpreting those results, it can really be, I guess, missed if there's a hormonal issue because they're not sort of looking at it in relation to ovulation. So uh, when you get blood tests, and that's absolutely the right way to go because you can track your hormone levels just easily and quickly with doing a blood test. But first you want to um, track your cycle. So you want to know exactly when you're ovulating and then how long your luteal phase is so that you can measure between ovulation and your next period starting is the length of your luteal phase. And in the middle of your luteal phase, you'll get a peak for estrogen and progesterone. And so if you can pinpoint the middle of that luteal phase and have, have your blood test on that day, then you'll be able to see that ratio between estrogen and progesterone and it's very relevant for what's going on hormonally for you.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Even um, all the advice I was given was just to get at the same point in my cycle whenever I go and get tested. But I think that's probably taking it one step further, which which I really like. Um, but, but interesting note, and I'm not having a go with GPs, but I got the results back and everything was quote within the ranges, right? So he looked at me, he goes, nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. And I was feeling completely off. So I took the results to my naturopath who then read, you know, two and two, had a look at my thyroid plus- my progesterone levels at the same time the year before and was like, no, nah, something's off here. And that's how we kind of backtrack from there. So I think it's always interesting to have a look at it from a female health perspective rather than a general health. And I guess the the big takeaway for me from the whole experience, and, and I love understanding the intricacies around it, just as you've explained, but it's really that like, if if you don't feel right, like something's not right, you know, and just trust that yeah. and and work yeah, with a professional 100%. who's, who's going to have a look at that from a female health point of view. But I guess on this note, and what I'm curious about is when we have things like the marina or the pill, how does that play a role with these hormones? How does that impact their natural function or support them? Because I know there's potential arguments for and against, but just in general, what is the impact?
0: So we'll start with the pill. And I'll share my experience as well. Um, So when I was in my early 20s, I went on the pill to follow the advice from the doctor. You've got PCOS. This is the best way to to manage your skin and get your cycles regular. Um, Something in me just felt like, no, it's not right for me, but I'll do it because, you know, I'm I don't want to get pregnant right now when I'm, you know, studying. (laughs) And anyway, so I did the pill and I really persevered with it for probably about six months. And over that time, I was just mental, I would say. I was so anxious. I was depressed. I was having like suicidal thoughts every day. And I was like trying to figure it all out and i had a great relationship i was living in a wonderful place i was studying what i you know was really enjoying and it just didn't really make sense why i was like so unhappy in that like the external you know, balance seemed
1: right but the internal balance was yeah. off i'm assuming
0: was so off yeah yeah that's a great way to describe it and so um after that sort of time of being on the pill I just said, look, it's not for me. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I really so, what can... was,
1: yeah, yeah. So, what was going on there with your hormones? What was the impact? Or, generally speaking, what is the impact yeah. of the pill on our hormones?
0: Yeah. So, it suppresses ovulation. So, we're not ovulating. We're not releasing an egg. Therefore, we're not fertile. And so, oestrogen is delivered as a synthetic hormone with the pill to suppress ovulation. And then depending on the type of pill that you're using, um, you, that estrogen then gets withdrawn when you're taking the sugar pills and then you have a, a period, but it's not really a period, it's a pill bleed. And then, so you bleed and then you go back on the on the synthetic estrogen to suppress ovulation. Um, you can take cyclic type pills that have both estrogen and progesterone um, and You can take progesterone only pills or higher progesterone pills than estrogen. There's a whole variety of different ones out there. Um, The higher progesterone pills give your body a sense of you're pregnant. um, And and so that stops you from ovulating. um, And that's how that suppression works uh, as opposed to the higher levels of estrogen suppressing ovulation. And so, Ovulation is the main event in your cycle. It sets your hormonal health for the month, really, because we're getting that build for estrogen, good estrogen, and then we're getting um, your healthy production of progesterone from the corpus luteum, which is like the popped bubble after the egg's released from the ovaries. Mm. Um, so that's how the pill works to um manage regulate. contraception. <laughs> yeah. Um well, you know, it suppresses ovulation, manages, you know, contraception and uh gives you this false sense of having a regular cycle because you're having a period or a pill bleed, you know, every
1: month. This is crazy to me because When I I mean, I went on the pill as well when I was a little bit younger. It was when I started exercising and I've always had a regular cycle, very fortunate. Um, But when I started, I changed my exercise regime. I started lifting heavier weights. It went a bit out of whack for a bit, which now in hindsight, I know is pretty normal when you shock your body like that. But I went on the pill straight away. Um, and I don't recall ever being told that it would suppress ovulation. Cause had I known that <laughs> I probably wouldn't have gone on it. You know, the fact that you had, you have like a fake bleed. I don't know. I just, I feel like the information that I was told, I- I'm not sure if it's any different now, this was like six, seven years ago. Um, I feel like it's really important for people to know that mm. essentially their menstrual yeah. cycles on pause for however long they're going to yep. go on it. And then I wonder yep. long-term, you know, how do, how do you expect your body or your cycle to just wake up and, you know, be fertile and get back on it when it hasn't ovulated in so many years. Like that kind of freaks me out a little bit. So I'm really glad that we're having this conversation. I know a lot of people are more openly speaking about it now, but it does worry me because I feel like I was misinformed at the time. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, what scares me um, as a mother and as a practitioner is seeing – you know, the pills handed out so readily to young girls, like in, in their teenage years. And their, you know, hormones and their connection between the pituitary and the brain to the ovaries really does take a, quite a few years to develop and mature, and the body learns what to do hormonally. And so when you're sort of coming in early with the pill, it does pause everything. And it just suppresses and then you're not sort of allowing that maturation and that natural development of the hormones to happen in those teen years and then, you know, you get to your mid-20s and you come off the pill or your, you know, early 30s and then you've got all of these issues because you've been suppressing all that The time. natural growth, yeah. Does that yeah. make
1: sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And so does the Marina work in a similar way?
0: Different. Yeah, so I guess the way that contraception um, is working is we've got sort of different categories. And so we've got the pill that suppresses ovulation, but in that category also we've got other contraception like Vera, like the injection, also suppresses ovulation. We've got the NuvaRing, um, also suppresses ovulation. We've also got the Implanon another one to suppress ovulation. So they're probably the main ones for ovulation suppression. Then we've got intrauterine devices like the Marina and Kyleena um, and the Copper Coil. Uh, so they don't suppress ovulation, but they impact the environment within the uterus. So it thins out the endometrial lining and then it doesn't, you know, um, stop ovulation or potentially conception from occurring but it doesn't allow implantation of an embryo to occur within the uterus so that's how it's providing that contraceptive action so I guess the thing is with the marina so that talking about that intrauterine device is that it is synthetic progesterone that's secreted locally into the uterus, but then that progesterone gets absorbed into the bloodstream and does circulate. But it's at much lower levels as to, you know, so like the pill, for example, and synthetic progesterone from there. And that can last um, for contraception for up to five years. And so just depending on how well you're metabolism and detoxification pathways for hormones are working, uh, you're getting this sort of constant secretion of progesterone into your system, which does build up over time. And so for some women, over time, having the marina in, it does start to suppress ovulation and impacts the regularity of, you know, ovulation occurring um, each month. But it's very hard to tell that because you're not getting a period because it's thinned out that endometrial lining. Uh, The chylena is very similar, works that same way, but it's a lower dose of progesterone. Um, So generally it allows ovulation to occur um, and it doesn't have that same suppressive effect on uh, the ovaries or ovulation, but it still has that contraceptive action within the uterus. And then we've got the copper IUD, which is no hormones at all. Um, it's a copper coil and the copper coil unfortunately for some women can um, increase uh, the heaviness and pain with their periods because it's an irritant Um, copper also does build up in the system from having a copper coil and from a nutrient perspective um, higher levels of copper interfere with your body's absorption of zinc and iron, and it impacts how we're metabolizing estrogen. So it blocks that estrogen metabolism, um, so it can lead to higher levels of estrogen in the body and also impacts dopamine levels as well, and so it can affect our moods. So long story short, I don't think there's a lot of great options for contraception out there, Um, It really just depends on what phase, you know, you're in with your life and, um, you know, your plan for pregnancy, your fertility plan, that side of things. Um, I think probably the best way to manage your fertility is to track your cycles, know exactly when you're ovulating and then abstain from intercourse over your fertile phase or use you know, condoms over that time or use a like a diaphragm or a cervical sponge a barrier method to prevent um, you know an unwanted pregnancy
1: yeah absolutely and I mean just from your professional opinion because I know there may be quite a few listeners um, who have or use many of those methods um, what would be your advice to them if they're sort of reconsidering at this point whether it is the right thing for them or not. Obviously, consulting a professional is always step one. But just in yeah. general, if they, I don't know, would prefer – because I speak a lot about a lot of natural approaches to things. Like I, when you said before, when you got the marina and it's something intuitively just didn't feel right to you, I kind of had that same feeling when I went on the pill. Was like, this is something mm. synthetic, like kind of not not a natural – supportive function of my system, like something just didn't feel right to me. So for someone maybe wanting to transition into something a little bit more natural, um, do you have, I guess, any tips or, or I guess, just pointers on how they can even go about starting that process?
0: Yeah, so say for example, if they were on the pill and they're wanting to transition to something more natural, I would definitely look at um, maybe going like a the Kyleena IUD, I think that's probably the best option out of everything that's available from the doctor (laughs) in terms of managing your fertility. But I really would encourage women to give themselves a pill break for at least three months to allow their body to cycle, to ovulate, to have some, you know, communication between the brain and the ovaries and to maintain you know, function within the ovaries and then and then consider after that time what they're going to do, um, whether it's yeah an IUD or whether it's going back on the pill or just using, you know, barrier methods.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so if we transition now a little bit into, I guess, PCOS, which is something a lot of women experience, I know I have, I don't personally um, experience it, but a lot of people in my life have it. And I do believe it is quite common. Can you explain just a little bit about what it is? And I guess what the impact. So we know, I guess now based off what we've just discussed, what the normal function of hormones are, or or the typical function of our hormones are, what happens in a PCOS situation?
0: Yeah, so with PCOS, it's a dysfunction with the ovaries um, and it's a scaled condition as well. So you can have a minor presentation or a more severe presentation. Um, Along with the ovarian dysfunction, we've also got hormonal um, effects. Some women have just that hormonal picture and their ovaries are generally not in that polycystic visual state Um, so there's lots of variations with PCOS um, but generally if we're trying to sort of give it an umbrella understanding of it it's when the ovaries are not uh, ovulating regularly and the maturation of a follicle which is like the little bubble that contains the egg uh, there's like a disruption in that maturation phase And so we have these multiple immature follicles with immature eggs inside them, building on the surface of the ovary like a bunch of grapes. And then um, we've got a hormonal picture behind that that lends to lower levels of estrogen because of that ovarian dysfunction and then higher levels of testosterone. And so that high level of testosterone then can lead to things like acne, male pattern hair growth, where you're getting, you know, um, quite dark hairs on the face or chest or style trail or in the pubic you know, hairline, um, bikini line, and uh, you can have issues with that high levels of testosterone contributing to libido problems and um, hair loss and mood issues. Uh, and then that also impacts weight as well because uh, high levels of testosterone interfere with um glucose insulin receptors on the cell and so we can be insulin resistant, have higher levels of glucose circulating in the body which then contributes to weight gain and um, those blood sugar imbalances as well impacts fatigue and energy levels too. And so the trick really with PCOS is getting the hormone balance right and getting the ovaries healthy and getting the um, any insulin resistance managed so uh, we do that through a variety of herbs and nutrients and lifestyle adjustments and dietary adjustments so that um, we're taking that holistic approach to PCOS and the goal is to move down that scale and you know get a period and ovulation happening regularly but depending on where you're sitting on that scale you can go for months and months and months without Uh, Period and without ovulation occurring.
1: Yeah, Yeah. no, you sort of answered my question because I uh, would have assumed you're not the biggest fan of the pill, so I would. Uh, to hazard a guess that you probably take a different approach to clients who come in with PCOS but that's the one thing yeah. I love about naturopathy as a whole it does take a very holistic approach it's not it's not just let's just look your cycle and fix that it's okay what stress have you got that, that that's then you know got a knock-on effect to your hormones which then impact your cycle and your diet and your movement and all those things so I would personally always go to my naturopath for stuff like this. So um, it's just nice to hear, I guess, that there are options out there. Sometimes I, I think even looking back at myself as a younger girl, you just think, I'm just gonna go on the pill. Like that's, you know, and I wasn't even really, I didn't have irregular periods. It was just because of that mismatch with when I started training. But I can only imagine for someone, you know, experiencing PCOS, maybe feeling like they just want a quick fix. Um, But I think if you do take the time to work with someone who is going to take that more natural, holistic approach, I think you're working more for the longevity of your health rather than, you know, short-term quick fix. So I do quite like that. And continuing, I guess, on the conversation of menstruation, um, I did want to ask you, is period pain normal? Is it something that we should, you know, experience every so often? Or can we hypothetically go our whole lives and not experience period pain? Because that would be great. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I would definitely say period pain is not normal. Um, It generally is a result of um, imbalanced hormones or endometriosis. And so if you're suffering with chronic period pain, you definitely want to investigate that because um, there could be, you know, some procedures like a laparoscopy available to you and, you know, sorting your hormones out can definitely make a huge difference with, um, period pain and generally it's that again imbalance ratio between higher levels of estrogen lower levels of progesterone that amplify period pain now that being said depends on where you're sitting at on your pain scale Mm. as well i was going to ask we
1: should probably qualify what pain is
0: (laughs) yeah yeah so look um when it comes to pain everybody's got different levels of what they can manage and the thing is that you want to be mindful of what's impacting your day to day life and your quality of life. And so, if you're getting a bit of mild cramping and it's not stopping you from doing anything, then there's probably, you probably don't need to do anything about that specifically. But if you're getting you know higher levels of pain, say over you know five out of ten, for example um if you you know 10 out of 10 is like in bed curled in a ball crying your eyes out and painkillers aren't working <laughs> then you know obviously that's going to to be impacting your quality of life and so painkillers aren't uh you know a um a solution in terms of managing at that point in time, but they're not a long term fix, right? So you don't want to be, you know, using painkillers every cycle just to just to get through. Um. So yeah, it's really, I guess, a quality of life thing of what you can do. So if you can't drive, if you can't work, if you can't exercise, if you can't cook dinner, if you, you know, can't. That's do what's the thing, not normal. Yeah, that's not normal. Um, and, you know, you might have some cycles where you're feeling like a little bit off, right? You know, a bit more cramping than usual, but if it passes fairly quickly and you can still keep going about your day and it's not every cycle, then it's probably nothing to really be worried about. You might have just had more stress that month or drunk more alcohol or, you know, more coffee or not it you know, been eating as clean um, as you normally would. and you know, I think that's that's okay, right? We we all sort of we have life happen and um our body is very resilient but also sensitive, right? So if you have those those things um happening in life and it contributes to your symptoms around your period, obviously you'll notice it. Um we're sensitive like that, but we can bounce back, you know, we're resilient. So we just need to support our system and just go, okay, cool, well you know, not drink so much this, this next month or, you know, I'll make sure I'm sleeping better or um, I'll take my magnesium regularly or whatever it might be. So if you're managing, you know, cycle to cycle, great. But if you're having that ongoing period pain, it's not normal. You don't need to suffer through it. And there's a lot that you can do to, um, yeah, move down that pain scale and, and feel like your periods aren't ruining your life. <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely absolutely. And I think a big takeaway for me there um especially for someone who doesn't experience like extreme pain on an every cycle basis, I think the biggest thing there is like just that awareness month to month and and being kind of gentle with your body. Sometimes if I do have like a bit more of a painful month, it's okay. I probably had more stress than usual this month. Or like you said, maybe it's festive season, silly season, and you're eating and drinking a little bit, you know, a bit, a bit off the diet or, or whatever the case may be. But I think just having bringing that awareness, I think, we can go through life so um, mindlessly sometimes and just go through the motions. But if you just stop and really like tune in to how you're feeling, then you can notice when things are different or don't feel right. So it's just that awareness piece. So I really love that you've sort of shared that. And before we close the chapter on menstruation, um, any of that, was there anything else you wanted to add before I ask you one final question?
0: No,
1: I think that's all good. It's been quite (laughs) a, quite a robust, deep, (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah just talk to somebody you know find a practitioner at those hormones and periods well you know find a good doctor that's willing to do the testing and um support what your wishes are it's just getting the team together i suppose yeah that's people in your to, corner you know yeah support you well um and you know if that means that you've got to you know have a laparoscopy or if you've got to, you know, take some some supplements or whatever it might be to manage better, then you know, absolutely do that. And um, if something's not feeling intuitively right for you, then you know, question and explore, and investigate, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And the okay. only other thing I'd add to that is if it's a women's health issue per se, then potentially you want to work with someone who is experienced in that rather than generalizes in health um, as a whole. I think that's a really important thing to note as well. All right, lucky last question. I wanted to know. I'm ready. What does it it mean to alkalize the body and who should be alkalizing their body?
0: Mm -hmm. So um, having an alkaline body is a really good thing to work towards. Now, under the um, umbrella of um, acid-alkaline balance, when we're less alkaline, more acidic, we're also in a state of more inflammation in the body and also contributing to more oxidative stress, which means we're wearing our body down and we're ageing faster. And so as we move to a more alkaline state, then our body works more efficiently. We lift that heaviness of inflammation and, yeah, we just feel sort of lighter and brighter. (laughs) Um, But that balance with that uh, acidity and alkalinity is really sensitive, influenced by a variety of factors from what you're eating in your diet um, and eating a diet that's right for your blood type as well, I think it's important too because you can't just put a blanket diet out for everyone to follow and that's going to be, you know, good for them. Um, So it's really finding a diet that's that's working for you. Um, It's also the water that you're drinking and, um, you know, what you're consuming alcohol and caffeine wise as well. And also what your supplement regime's like too because we can be taking supplements that work for us or some that, you know, are not as good for us. Um, So I guess the thing is when we're looking at um, alkalizing our body, it's really relevant for people at all ages and stages, but particularly if you're... um, you know, feeling like your body is not working as efficiently as it could be, or you're suffering from any, you know, chronic issues, illness. Um, now, some general things diet-wise that I recommend uh, are definitely, you know, eating uh, organic wherever possible um, and eating, you know, plenty of nutrient-dense foods So, as close to nature as possible. So, plenty of, you know, salads and nuts and seeds and raw and greens is all great. Um, And eating for your blood type also means that, say, so that we'll just go with A's and O's because they're the most common. So, O blood types really need to be mindful of the amount of sugar that they're consuming and grains and dairy because, in Um, that blood group, if they're consuming higher amounts of those foods, it will cause more acidity in their body. So they're much better off eating more paleo-style diet, higher protein, um, you know, cutting the sugar, cutting the grains, you know, reducing their their dairy intake um, to work more efficiently. Uh, For A blood types, you know, if they're consuming a lot of um, meat, and high protein in their diet that's going to be quite acid forming for them so they're better off you know eating more plant-based and you know more salads more legumes more nuts and seeds you know easy digested proteins and that's going to be better for their system so diet plays plays a big part there uh water as well so when we're drinking water we really want to ensure that it's filtered water um, and that it's you know got healthy minerals in there because if we are um, like doing like a reverse osmosis process it's like strips the water and it makes it more acidic Um, but then if we remineralize that water after it's been filtered then um, it becomes more alkaline, and it's not as stripping on our body. Um, and so, it's you know important to drink plenty of water to maintain that alkalinity in the body as well. And stress plays a part hugely. You know, stress impacts
1: everything. <laughs>
0: everything. You know, if you run down with your adrenals, if your immune systems run down. Um, you know, you're just chewing through your nutrients so much faster. You're just going through your B vitamins, through your magnesium, through your zinc um, really quickly. And so those things play a part certainly in keeping our body in that buffer with that alkal- acid-alkaline balance right. Um, so minimizing your stress, making sure you're sleeping well and having your nutrients topped up when you are feeling run down is important. Um, and then, yeah, just making sure that we're sleeping well and you're moving your body, exercising in a healthy way too, because if you're over-exercising, then that can put more stress on your system and create more acidity, you know, it builds that lactic acid in the body. And probably one of the best ways to monitor your acid-alkaline balance is, again, through a blood test, electrolyte liver function test. And we can see on a blood test what your bicarb to anions are doing and the ratio between those two. And that will give you an idea about where you're sitting at for your acid-alkaline balance.
1: Yeah, awesome. We answered my question. I was going to ask how's the best way to, I guess, work out where we sit. Um, But I love that you brought up the blood type diet, and I would urge anyone who hasn't heard of it before to research. Have a look into it because it's really interesting stuff on eating per your blood type and like you were saying like the different things that are beneficial or potentially detrimental to that blood type and I think of all the dieting fads and ways you can diet um, you know that there are available I think eating for your blood type is kind of one of those more unique personalized ones it's not so um, specific that it needs to factor in every factor in your life so i think it's just a good one to have a look at and i guess just factor in you might be like oh yeah i am a little bit irritable to that food and it might correlate it's just interesting to know but um in terms of physical symptoms that you would feel say you were a little bit more on the acidic side than the alkaline um what would you be feeling Mm -hmm. like how would that be showing up for you
0: Mm, so it can be like exercise recovery time for example So if you're really feeling like after exercise that it's taking you a long time to, you know, recover, yeah, Um, it can be like joint pain as well. So just feeling stiff and sore. Um, It can sometimes be like a metallic-y taste in your mouth as well. Um, It can, you know, be frequent infections too, um, because your immune system tends to be more run down when you're acidic, um, which might be like UTIs, for example, or, um, yeah. Like a thrush or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's hard to sort of know symptomatically. I think the best way is to do a blood test. Um, yeah, yeah, because it can be sort of sitting as like an underlying contributing factor and um, you're not sort of too aware specifically that, oh, that means that I'm running acidic. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I guess it's
1: kind of like because the body is so holistic and all interconnected, it's probably like if you are more acidic then you might be, you know, your adrenals might be burnt out, your thyroid might be not working properly. It's kind of probably all... Linked, so yeah, yeah. No, I love this stuff. I could probably chat about it for days. But before <laughs> I let you go, tell me a little bit more about Fem Twenty One. I guess what is it good for? Who should be taking it, yeah. um, and and at what point? I guess would you turn to it as a supplement, or is it more an everyday thing?
0: Yeah, so um, Fem Twenty One does a variety of things uh, to support women's health holistically. So it really covers lots of bases because. You know, as a naturopath, we really like to support people holistically. So even though the main action is working on helping that hormonal balance, especially like we talked about with estrogen metabolism and progesterone, uh, we've also got herbs in there that support the liver and detoxification and the gut and moving your bowels efficiently through fiber and probiotics. We've got alkalizing greens in there that are known to help get that acid alkaline balance right and get that buffer you know, um, good. So you're working more, your body's working more efficiently. We've got herbs in there that support the adrenals and your stress response, your nervous system. Um, herbs in there that support the thyroid as well. So trying to cover really those main big issues women um, to help them just to feel happier and healthier, more vital. Um, It can be used from teens right through to, you know, menopause um, and women in their, you know, 50s, mid 50s, late 50s can take it right from, you know, the, the teen stage. I generally recommend that we don't Don't use Fem21 if you're doing any synthetic contraception that's suppressing ovulation. Just because it's working on that hormonal metabolism through the liver and the kidneys, that it may just reduce the half-life or the time that that synthetic medication is in your system for and therefore make it less effective. So I don't recommend it whilst women are on the pill if they're using the pill for contraception. Um... But, yeah, it can be utilised every day. Um, It can be certainly something that you're using as part of a greater treatment plan to support your hormonal health. Um, And it can be used at different dosing levels depending on what you're addressing, whether it's um, like an estrogen metabolism issue contributing to like endometriosis or painful periods. Um, or you know severe PMDD premenstrual um, issues then you can use a higher dose in that luteal phase of your cycle Um, it's really helpful for women that have PCOS in regulating their cycles it's really helpful for women that don't have a period at all like hypothalamic amenorrhea and getting their cycles back and waking their ovaries up and Um, supporting those systems that contribute to, um, yeah, the ovaries not functioning normally. Uh, So, yeah, that's kind of Fem21 in a bit of a nutshell, how it's supporting (laughs) women. (laughs) Beautiful. Um, Yeah, yeah. So a variety of conditions, you know, from acne to low libido to painful periods, irregular cycles, fertility issues. Can
1: be used. and just overall overall function right like even for myself say who yeah. my my cycle's quite normal um i've been through a bit of a hormonal roller coaster recently would it be like beneficial just to someone who wants to support those key functions as well and and i guess how yep. soon would you feel the results or the impact of it would it be yeah, like a more yeah. gradual or would it be more instant
0: so I definitely would recommend it if you're feeling a little bit wonky hormonally and just wanting a little bit more support with your cycles. And I recommend that you use it for a minimum of three months just because we need that time frame for your body to work out what's happening hormonally. But for women, um, they're often feeling a difference earlier in terms of better functioning bowels, feeling more energised, feeling like their moods are you know, more stable. And so like a lift in energy as the adrenals are more supportive as well. So you can, you know, everybody's different, obviously, but for a lot of women, they're feeling a difference within that first month. Um, So generally, I'd say if you're feeling that you know good with it then just keep going with it and then after you feel like your hormones are stabilized and your cycles are good and things are balanced just really listen to your body intuitively if you feel like you need a break then have a break and then if you feel like you get a bit wonky again then get back on it um so it's something that you can use long term or just use as needed depending on awesome. how you're feeling.
1: Beautiful. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time and the download of knowledge that you've shared today. I know I've (laughs) learned a lot, so I know the listeners would have also taken a lot away. So thank you, firstly. And secondly, if people want to connect with you or have a little bit uh, further look into, say, Firm 21, where's the best place they can go?
0: Yeah, so probably just hit the website, which is Fem21.com. Um, and also our Instagram at Fem21. Uh, we've got heaps of info that we put up there for women's health. Um, so either one of those platforms you'll find us on. We're also on Facebook as well. Um, so, yeah, have a look at those platforms. But if you've got any questions, you know, feel free to contact me. Um, I'm more than happy to help can DM me through Instagram or send me a text or give us a call or send us an email, all good.
1: Beautiful. Well, I'll definitely pop links to those below, but thank you so much for your time. And I'm looking forward to seeing what the future brings for you, Fem21 and the business as a whole.
0: Beautiful. Thanks so much, Erica. It's been lovely talking and connecting with you today. Thanks.
1: And that's a wrap for this week, Balances. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you found this episode useful to some degree in either steering or determining your definition of balance today. As always, the biggest compliment for us is if you share this episode with someone who you feel might need it, or if you're on Spotify, you can click follow or on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a rating or review. If you have any suggestions for up-and-coming podcasts, feel free to shoot us a DM or an email. Our Instagram is at the Balance Theory, and our email is the balance theory Podcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, you've always got the option of subscribing to our mailing list. We only send you email reminders when the episodes drop so you get them fresh out of the oven. No annoying spam, we promise. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and until next time, stay balanced.